You ever have weeks where uh, you wonder what God is up to? You ever have like seasons where you wonder what in the world is God doing with my, yes, we have a, a hearty amen. Yes, uh, I think like Pentecost is one of those days where we just kind of ask, what are you doing, Lord? If I was writing this story, no way that this part of God's story being revealed to us on Pentecost Sunday would be what we would have chosen or what we would have guessed would have happened next. Tongues of fire, a mighty whirlwind in a, in a room somewhere in Jerusalem on a day where like thousands upon thousands of people are back in Jerusalem for another festival. What are you doing, God? What is going on? What story is being told and is unfolding? Well, if you don't know, Pentecost is this next chapter. Ch- chapter? We're going to go ahead and start speaking in tongues now. Chapter in the story. It starts with Advent each year. If you don't know this, the Christian calendar starts in Advent every year. And it's the time where we long for the coming Messiah in baby Jesus. And then it, the, the calendar moves on into an epiphany. And then into Lent when we prepare ourselves, we repent of the sins that have so entangled us, kept our minds off of Jesus. And then Lent is that time where we get rid of those things and prepare for the cross. And then of course we have Easter. It's not just a day. It's those 40-some days of Easter tide, this season where we celebrate resurrection up until the ascension in Acts 1 when Jesus flies back up to heaven. And then today, some 50 days later, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, is Pentecost. It's this next chapter in this story that God is writing and that we celebrate year in and year out. It's a cycle to keep us centered on the life of Christ. That's going to be interesting. Um, but nonetheless, that's what, that's what it's all about, right? And so now, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the Jews are celebrating what, is, what they knew as the Feast of Weeks. It's this idea in the Old Testament of seven sevens, these 49 days plus one. They're coming back into Jerusalem, bringing their first fruits of the harvest. So wheat and barley, they're bringing back into the temple. They've gone away after Passover. They've gone to their homes. They've worked the season of the harvest, and now they're bringing back into Jerusalem, into the temple, the first fruits of all that they have had from their land. It's kind of this foreign concept for us that have not grown up in an agrarian society, but instead live now in the suburbs. We'll get back to this idea of this Feast of Weeks. But through 2,000 years of Christianity, we have not celebrated the Feast of Weeks so much as we have celebrated Pentecost. The day that Jesus really made good on his promise that he would not leave us as orphans because he was sending his spirit. And this is what the disciples were waiting for, right? It's the day of power, it's the day of new beginnings. The church uh, came alive on this day. This is the day when truly the church was birthed. And I think we get distracted sometimes with this strange fire that's, that's dancing on their heads or the divided tongues that's, that, that's mentioned in these scriptures or, or the different languages that are spoken. And we can get distracted by all those things and wonder, is that going to happen here and now? Maybe, maybe not. But we do know it was a special thing for that day at Pentecost in a special way because there was thousands of people in Jerusalem from all over the world. Right? If, we, if we kept reading in Acts, you would see Arabs there, you would see the Medes, the Persians, you would see all types of people that God was calling back to himself. 
And they're all of a sudden, they're the Elamites, there's the Mesopotamians, the Judeans, the Cappadocians, the, I mean, all, all the Asia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, you name it. And they're in Jerusalem hearing the gospel for the first time in their own native language. You want to know, know like why we are singing in Spanish today? It's because it's the day that truly God was speaking the language of the people. And truly there are people in this room that their heart language, their first language is, is Spanish. So why not on any other day in the calendar should we not sing in Spanish? So we have strange fire. We have different languages. We have the whirlwind. We have uh, the speaking in the tongues. But what is God doing? What was God doing on this day in 33 AD, if that's when this happened? What's God doing on this day in 2019? What is he up to? Dare I say, I believe that the most important thing that he is doing on Pentecost is he is remaking our identity as the church. He's remaking us as the people of God. He's remaking our identity. Pentecost reminds us that we are the people that belong to God. We are his people. We are his sons and daughters. That is our identity. And we must remember this again and again. Every year, if not every day, do we need to be reminded that we belong to his people for he dwells in us by his spirit. Why do I say that we need to be reminded of that? I believe that we can track down most of our problems onto one root issue. And that is we live out of an identity that we've either made for ourselves or that someone else gave us and not the identity that God has given us. We, I think we can just root out most of our sin issues, most of our conflict with one another, most of our, our coveting and our idolatry and, and jealousy, whatever it may be. I think we can root those things out by saying, I'm not living as a son or daughter of Christ. I'm instead living as a son or daughter of Adam and Eve. We live out of our flesh, out of the natural person instead of the renewed mind and the renewed heart. You see, we don't live out of our God-given identity. We live out of an identity that is given to us by other humans. God made us, however. He gave us this identity. And ever since the fall, humans have been trying to take the job back from God. Not to celebrate the image of God in one another, but to remake the image of ourselves in one another. Y'all didn't react to that, so maybe you didn't understand it. Let me, re Let me just retrace my steps. We do not celebrate the image of God in one another. If you want to know where sin comes from, if you want to know why we can't celebrate the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, why we wonder why this person has this and I don't have that, or that person has, doesn't have this and I do, and we either have survivor's guilt or we have envy and covetousness, it's because we are trying to remake our own image in someone else. It's what you're doing usually with parenting. And where we get messed up is when we start to do it in marriage. I can't remake my image in Melissa. That's gonna turn into disaster. It's also gonna turn into disaster if she tries to remake me in her image. Instead, we are both being remade into the image of Jesus. See, that's the focus. That's the goal. Not that I would make you become like me or that you would make me become like you, but that we would be instruments to make each other come more like Jesus. That's the heart of this whole thing. Pentecost reminds us 
again and again whose and who we are. We forget who God is and what he's doing, and so Pentecost draws our attention upward. So who are you? If that's the whole point of this whole thing of Pentecost, that he's remaking our identity as the people of God, the church, who are you? What identity are you living out of day in and day out? Monday to Saturday. It's easy to come here and go, oh, I'm living out of my identity, but what about tomorrow? What about when when I leave this afternoon to go on vacation and it gets super stressful and we're an hour late because we're always an hour late coming out of the driveway? And I'm just like, ah, and then someone forgets their shoes. And then we get all the way to our place and it's an hour backtrack to go get shoes. Who, ah, am I gonna live out of my identity in Christ or am I gonna live out of my identity in Lance? That's what's before us. So who are we? Are we dead? Are we, are we rebels still? Are we orphans? Are we enemies of God? Are we, are we truly the people that we don't do any good? That's how God describes us apart from Christ. But in Christ, we are then alive. We are servants of the Most High God. We are disciples. We are his family. And Jesus himself, the one who made everything, calls you his friend. That should mess us up that we're now zealous for good works, right? We need to remember this grand exchange from death to life, from blind to sight, from death to hearing, from heart of stone to one of flesh because our biggest problems come when we live out of a dead and buried identity and we go digging in the graveyard to try and dance with that skeleton. It's our biggest problems in life. And actually, I think actually it's a little bit more subtle than that. It's not just going into the graveyard and dancing with that skeleton. It's, it's, it's this battle in us between what's good and what's great. It's not always death in life. Some of our most dangerous encounters with the flesh or the old ways isn't an issue with outright overt habitual sin. Instead, it's we live out of what the world sees as valuable instead of what, what God sees as valuable. So um, this kind of happens in our families, right? Like you probably... Um, have children that know that you're proud of them. I hope that you have children that know that you're proud of them. If you're, if you're a parent, or maybe you're not a parent, and you have spiritual children that you've been discipling and you see growth in them, maybe, I hope, that you're saying to them, I'm proud of you. It's easy to say, I'm proud of Ellie, who goes and plays softball and does X, Y, or Z. I, it's easy for me to see why, why there would be reasons for me to be proud of her. But what about my youngest, Mo? who he doesn't, I mean, he plays baseball, but that's like baseball. <laughs> what, about, what, about, what about Reese when she's playing tennis and she's frustrated and hot? There are times when I tell them, I'm really proud of you when they fail. Like Chris wrote about this yesterday, that he's proud of his daughter for doing the best that she could. Doesn't matter how she places comparatively to everyone else, he's proud of how she performed. It's a good. But every once in a while, I'll shock my kids and I'll just look at them in the eye and I go, hey, I just want you to know, I'm really proud of you for coming down the stairs? I'm so confused, why am, I, why am I being gloated over? I just wanna let you know I'm really proud of you, not because of what you did, not because of what you didn't do, not because you tried your hardest, I'm proud of you because you're mine. You're related to me. You're, I'm, I, have, I have such pride in you because you're my child, regardless of whether you do good or do terrible, or whether you try your hardest, like you get the, the participation award. I don't care about any of that. I'm proud of you because you're you and you're my daughter, and I only get one of those that looks like you, and I only get one of those that looks like you, and I only get one son that looks like you, which I don't know who you look like, but it doesn't look like me. <laughs> he has blonde hair and blue eyes, y'all, for real. 
Right? We, we, we got to say again and again that we're not just proud of our children for what they do, their performance, that they have good behavior, but that we instill in them, that's good, we instill in them a pride, a beaming, because you're mine. Isn't that what God does for us? He's proud of us, not just because of the obedience that we have. Yes, he beams in those things. He's proud of us because we're his. He delights in us because we're his, not because of our performance, he looked at that, that wouldn't probably give him for uh, much reason to beam and smile and delight. But instead, he looks at his son and delights over us as being in Christ. See, our identity needs to be confirmed and believed. And I believe this is one of the reasons why God sent his spirit. We just read it out of Ezekiel, but the end of that was this, you shall be my people and I will be your God. I'm gonna send this spirit and you're gonna be my people. So on Pentecost, God made good on the promise to send his spirit. And when he birthed the church, he gave us a new family. He gave us a new spirit. He gave us a new operating system, if you will. Not of the law, but of life. Not of duty, but delight. Not of orphanhood, but of sonship and daughtership. Not of groaning, y'all hear it now. Not of groaning, but of growing. Not of slavery to sin, but of freedom in the spirit. And not of fear, but of power and boldness. See, we Christians should look completely different than what we used to look and completely different than our neighbors and the world around us that don't know Jesus. So if we look into the, Old, into the New Testament, we see all sorts of identities God is, playing, being, uh, is placing on us. I only wanna talk about three today. And I wanna start in Ephesians 2. I'm gonna jump around today. So if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one coming up. Um, we're gonna start in Ephesians chapter two first. And I'm just gonna read one verse for the sake of time because I could preach on Pentecost and on what God is remaking in us for hours to come. And I'm really glad that they, they ended uh, uh, the scripture reading at, like before 10.30. That means I've got some leeway today. But I'm gonna try and move through this by just reading one verse to start. Look at what God says about who we are now as a result of the Holy Spirit coming. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, if you read all that came before it, it's really hard to just cherry pick this one verse because this is the, basically the conclusion of a lot of beautiful things. We'll get back to some of it. But you and I are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. You and I are the dwelling place of God. If you remember, I just said this, Pentecost is the Jewish festival of weeks or of harvest. When the Jews would bring their first fruits of their spring harvest into the temple. And Jesus fulfills this, this, this feast. And the way that he does this is that he redefines the temple not as a place, but as a people. Y'all hear this now. You are the temple of God. The temple went away. Even if it was still standing in Jerusalem, it would still produce nothing for the, for the dwelling place of God. Instead, now you are the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. This is something new. This is something strange. That sh should be the thing that we kind of, it, it should recapture our imagination on what does that mean for me, that I am the dwelling place of God. Jesus redefines the temple as his people, and now he fulfills this feast by bringing his first fruits and brings it into the, to the temple of God. His first fruits of the Holy Spirit, he now brings into the temple of God, which is you. The Holy Spirit isn't leftovers. 
The Holy Spirit isn't, oh man, I wish that Jesus was here. No, Jesus said, it's better if I go away, I ascend to heaven, reign and rule over all things, the name above all names, so that I can send my spirit who will now live not in one place on the earth, but in all places in your hearts where the people of God will go. You don't come to church, you are the church. Why are you the church? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. We have forgotten this. We do forget this. We need to be reminded again and again. See, what is God doing? The question I started with, what is God up to? For all of time, I believe that God has been working and moving to be with his people. From Genesis to Revelation, you can see this. In the garden in Genesis, what did God do? He dwelt with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the day. He talked with them as if he was right here. He was simply with them. When Jesus came, John 1 told us that he came to the earth. God himself who came down and dwelt amongst men. When you go from Genesis to John and then the garden, the Revelation garden in, John, in Revelation 21, it says this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. From Genesis to Revelation, God is longing to be with his people. Only one problem. His people don't share the sentiment. We long to be by ourselves with one another. See, that's what happened with Adam and Eve with the fall, right? The problem is that Adam and Eve rebelled against God, lost the presence of God in the garden, and when Jesus came to his own, they did not receive him, but rejected him and killed him. And our merciful God has been moving towards living with his people ever since the fall. You see this all throughout scripture. He periodically visits Abraham. He will visit Moses on the top of a mountain. He will manifest himself as the pillar of cloud or fire for God's people, the Israelites. The climax of all of the book of Exodus at the end in, in chapter 40, verse 34, what, what is it that this great thing that it's all leading up to is the presence of God dwelling in the tabernacle. So much so that Moses himself couldn't go in. That's the power and glory of God coming and filling that place. For hundreds of years though, no one met with God. He was simply present in the holy of holies in the temple. Once a year would the high priest go in and it went on this way until Jesus died. The temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom and that was to signify the unleashing of God's presence on the earth in his people that was to come on Pentecost. It's the culmination of a story of God wanting to be with his people. God so wanted to be with his people that he left heaven, sent his son. He so wanted to be with his people that he sent his spirit to permanently dwell in you. Do you want to be with you all the time? The Holy Spirit wants to be with you all the time. There's not a day that goes by, there's not a thought that you can think that you can push him out. If you're the dwelling place of God, he is with you permanently forever. See, that's just one thing, that we are the dwelling place of God. What a beautiful reality that God dwells with you. You see, I grew up with this bad theology that if you sinned, that your fellowship with God was broken and that you had to repent and confess in order to get that fellowship back. That's works-based theology that is not biblical. 
And I, I grew up with that. Like that was my first understanding of repentance and confession was that you break fellowship with God. He no longer is hanging out with you. You must have kicked the Holy Spirit out with your sin. Like you have the power to do that. And now if I confess and repent, he'll come back in, make nice with me, and we can hang out. Instead, he's there the whole time. This is why the Bible gives us warnings not to grieve the Holy Spirit, not to quench the Holy Spirit because he's still there. So when we sin, we do those things. We quench, we grieve, but instead there's a constant calling to be filled, realize the dwelling of God in us. We are the dwelling place of God, but we are also this, we are also citizens. We're also citizens. If we were to look up in Ephesians 2, I wanna read verses 12 and 19. Look at what the Bible says about us citizenship. See, we're being built together, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It's a process of being joined together, but this is what has happened. Look at what um, we once were, verse 12. Yeah, look, remember that you, he's talking to Gentiles. That's, um, if I was like to do a raise of hands, that would be all of us except one that I know of. So like, all of us, we Gentiles, we were all this. Remember that one time, you Gentiles were separated from Christ. You didn't have any thought of the Messiah. You were worshiping Baal. You were worshiping whatever other God that there was. Artemis and Zeus and whatever other things capture your imagination. Your kids. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, that common blessing that Israel got, you were alienated from that. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. And we go down to verse 19. So then you are, look, look, now you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You and I are citizens. You and I belong to a kingdom that we did not earn or belong to before. It's something different. There's something different about this place, this kingdom. The very fact that you and I sit in this room and are worshiping Messiah. I want you all to hear this. The very fact that we are in this room as Gentiles and are worshiping Messiah is a miracle that millions and millions of people throughout thousands of years could have never guessed would have happened. They would have never guessed that the common promises, the covenants that were once held for just the Jewish people are now given to us, Gentiles. We are now partakers of the promise. We are not, we are not citizens of the kingdom because we visit this building or any building once a week. We are citizens because where we live uh, we're not citizens because of where we live. We are citizens because God lives in us by his spirit. If you look at how the New Testament has described this in Colossians 1, look at this magnificent transfer from one kingdom to another. Verse 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Remember, y'all, it wasn't fun. You might have thought it was fun and cute, but sin is the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom, in his beloved son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That kingdom transfer is huge. Your citizenship no longer is of the kingdom of darkness, the dominion of darkness, but now the kingdom of his beloved son. 1 Peter 2.10 says that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, this is no small thing, this death to life, blind to sight. See, most of us don't understand citizenship. Most of us take our citizenship for granted in this room. We were born here. We were educated here. And so we don't understand what it means to kind of transfer from one kingdom to another. Actually, I don't either. And so to help us understand citizenship in a way that we might need to see and hear differently is our friend Mark John Bruver, who has transferred citizenship uh, once or twice. And so would you come up and tell us a little bit about what your experience has been with citizenship? Sure. You guys hear me right? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I was trying to think about this in light of the gospel message and being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the, you know, the kingdom of, of Jesus. Um, so we've lived in a few different places. I grew up in South Africa. We've lived in New Zealand, Canada, and now Texas, y'all. So I, I'm, a, I'm a South Zealand Canadian Texan. So right there. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the first, the first move um, was probably the most intense because, you know, I'd only ever known South African culture. I'd only lived, ever lived in South Africa. And as a Christian, as a believer, I had a perspective of what it meant to be a Christian, but it was a very South African cultural version of that, right? And I remember moving to New Zealand. And first of all, there was this great sense of relief because we'd moved from a country that was very, very dangerous, one of the highest crime rates in the world, to a country where the biggest thing on the news for the first six months is whether you should eat margarine or butter. And we're like, yeah, we came to the right place. <laughs> right, right there. Um, and so initially, you know, there's this great sense of relief. There's this uh, sense of wonder that you're being welcomed to this new country. But then, you know, as the days go by, you move from being a tourist to, to now wanting to become a citizen and the culture shock starts to kick in and you're like, well, hang on a minute. That's not right. That's not how we do things. And in terms of my own faith, a lot of it deconstructed my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And God used the experience to tear away from me the things that were just the South African cultural wrapping paper for the gospel. And then there was the New Zealand cultural wrapping paper for the gospel. But underneath that was a common um, essence, which is the gospel. And it really helped me deconstruct what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? Is it certain ways of acting or living or um, dressing, or is, is there some deeper um, essence? And at the end of the day, one of the biggest things that helped the transition was that as a believer, we are in God's kingdom. And so my brothers and sisters in Christ in New Zealand, at their essence, had the same faith that I did, even though we'd grown up in completely different cultures. And so that really helped solidify for me that ultimately, whichever country we live in, we're really kingdoms of heaven. We're in the kingdom of heaven. We're citizens of Jesus and of his kingdom. And that should be our identity, not being Texan or Canadian or uh, South African and so on. That's it. So in order to be citizens of New Zealand and Canada... You had to go through a process. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so I'm no longer a citizen of South Africa. So in, in, in uh, receiving Canadian citizenship, we relinquished our South African citizenship. So that was kind of a weird moment. The country I was born in, I'm no longer a citizen of. Um, but yeah, it just helped to reinforce that ultimately, you know, this life is temporary, you know, 70 years, maybe 90 if you do really well, but eternity is forever. So that's really where we need to be focused in terms of our citizenship. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, brother. What I, what I find fascinating about his story is that he had to relinquish one citizenship in order to gain another. And I think there's a, a beautiful story in that for us um, that we can't live in both places. He has a dual citizenship that works because it, they're both countries of the earth. But our citizenship isn't of the earth. It's of heaven. 
And let's, uh, let's just move forward with that thought that it's not just citizenship as we move into our final point. Thank you, Mark John. But they were also ambassadors. If you looked at 2 Corinthians 5, this is what the Bible would say in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Not just citizens, not just people that, that dwell in this different place, and not just a people that, that God dwells in us, but now, as citizens of this new place, he's also calling us to a specific role, that we should live a specific way in this place. Not just to, to fit in, but to be an ambassador. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's this idea of ambassador that really captured my imagination this week. Do you know what an ambassador is? If you don't, great, I'll explain it to you. Some, an ambassador is someone who is sent to represent a ruler in a foreign land. If you look at what a U.S. ambassador is to wherever they go, it is the highest ranking representative to a specific nation. They represent the president in the foreign land to protect and promote national interests and maintain diplomacy. So we're ambassadors. We're the representatives. We're the highest ranking officials on the earth because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Sent from this foreign ruler of heaven. See, it's not just of the earth, it's that we've been sent out from this ruler, this king from heaven, and he sends us to the earth, and he sends the Holy Spirit in us, and he says, you're ambassadors to that foreign land called the earth, where there's people there that I love. And so would you go and promote diplomacy there? Would you go and promote peace there? Would you go and spread, would you represent your ruler in that foreign land? See, that's what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus. We represent the ascended and available Jesus in a foreign land, that is the earth. This is not our home, y'all. Doesn't matter. What we do to make this place more comfortable will never be comfortable. We were not made for this place. We were made for something else. We've got to keep remem remembering that. We were not created for this place. This place was created for Jesus, which means that it was created good, but when we mess it up, it now serves as the purpose to create a thirst in us for something that cannot satisfy here. Someone that cannot satisfy here. Instead, the only one that can satisfy the thirst of our soul is the one who, who provides and promises the living water. He's the only one. We, we promote kingdom interests of mercy and justice and reconciliation. And so I ask you, as ambassadors, how can you live? What can you do this week to be an ambassador? How can you represent Jesus and promote his kingdom interests? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Most of us think of this as only us. Like we only think, oh, I'm a new creation, so I don't have to sin anymore. True. But in context here, we're talking about a new creation of not just a citizen of a foreign land, but an ambassador of a foreign land. So you live in that newness. Well, you live as someone who will use your home as an embassy. An embassy is a place that is a safe haven for your fellow citizens, but also a place, an outpost, 
where, where the interests of the ruler are being served, where our outposts are of, of heaven on earth. How does that change the way you parent if your home is an embassy? How does it change the way you neighbor? How does it change the way you practice hospitality? How can you create a safe place for fellow citizens and also a place that represents Jesus' interests in your neighborhood? Doesn't that change the way you do things? Should? Does it change the way you see Friday nights or dinner time or discipleship time? Time to encourage other ambassadors to send them out? We live as ministers of reconciliation, not just as new creations and not just as new ambassadors, but this is our message. Verse 18, all this, all this is from God who through Christ, he reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What is God doing? He's entrusting you with the message of reconciliation. What is his grand plan to win the world? You. And there's no plan B. So all your flaws and all your doubts and all your, uh he wants to use all that. I was talking to somebody uh, earlier this week and they've had doubts about their own salvation. They've had doubts about X, Y, or Z. And now someone else is coming into their lives and like, dude, be fruitful and multiply. Get your message out there. There's some beauty in all of that. Man, I'm gonna do it, let's go. We have been given a unique message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is the, for, is, is the relinquishment of another's debt. Someone owes you something and you relinquish it. Forgiveness is the restoration of the relationship, that which was lost. Our message, message of reconciliation is to ourselves, to our fellow citizens, and to those around us as we serve the interests of our king. You and I were once separated, cut off, alienated, in debt to the flesh, dead, and by nature, children of wrath. But now, that hostility has been traded in. It has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And though we were once enemies, we are now called friends by the God of the universe. How then does that change how you use your tongue? That's what Pentecost is about. How are you gonna use your tongue for the glory of God? How will you speak the native language of your neighbors? of the networks and of the nations? How does that change the way that you view those that annoy you, that just cause bother to you, that you don't really wanna hang out with? Surely the message of reconciliation should take root in our heart because I know that I don't, I'm not a big joy to Jesus every day with my personality. So then how much more so for those others? How does it change the, how you view yourself? How does it change your mission? We're ambassadors. But not all of us will live this way, sadly. Not all of us will take advantage of the citizenship that we have in this kingdom. That's why there's a dire warning at the end of this passage. In verse one of chapter six, it continues on, right? So like verse 20, therefore we are are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to, uh, to be sin, who knew no sin, this is the gospel, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then verse, six, uh, verse one of chapter six comes. Working together with Jesus, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? 
It means that if we do not live out of this identity of the dwelling place of God as citizens of God, as ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us with this message of reconciliation, we treat the grace of God like it's nothing. We receive the grace of God with vanity, with emptiness, with worthlessness. See, that's the warning for us because some of us are hearing this and going, yeah, 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 ambassadors, yeah, 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 missionaries, yeah, 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 yeah. If you could just keep going, I've got lunch. No, no, there's a warning here, y'all, that not all of us will live this way. And so there's this, there's this encouragement that we would, we would treat the grace of God like it actually meant something. See, if we go back to this picture of an ambassador, can you imagine an ambassador from the U.S. in a foreign land who says they love the president, they love the position that they've been appointed to, but when it comes down to the basic tasks of actually performing that of an ambassador, they just simply don't do it. They don't broker peace. They don't represent the will of the president in this foreign land, and, and they, they just don't do it. They don't do anything becoming of a good ambassador. And when they are asked why they don't do it, they say things like, I didn't receive the right training. They say things like, I'm not equipped for that. They say things like, I don't have the gift of that. They say things like, man, it's really uncomfortable. It's really inconvenient. They say things that just really don't matter because you have a position and an identity that God's given us. Do you think that that ambassador would keep their job? I would think not. Or maybe if it's not an ambassador, if you think about living out of your identity, I think about this. My wife's gonna go to Thailand in a few weeks. I'm really grateful for that. She gets to go and do things that she never imagined that she was gonna be able to do. But I'm a married man and she's a married woman. If she leaves town, uh, that doesn't make me a single man. Right? I'm still a married man just because she's not around me. Still a married man. So if she goes out of town, um, like my, my identity as a married man dictates my behavior. And so if she goes out of town or if I go out of town and, and my wife's not around, that doesn't make me single. Instead, I'm still married. And so if I were to act single, I would deny my identity and my relationship with my wife. It would treat it worthless. It would treat it in vain. And that's the warning that God's giving us, that we're still remade as citizens and ambassadors. And so we don't want to treat that relationship in vain or empty or worthless. See, God's grand plan to broker peace with a foreign land of the earth, of the rebellious world on behalf of the kingdom of heaven was to send his son from the embassy of heaven. This is grand plan to send his chief ambassador to this foreign land. That was his plan. And the residents of the foreign land killed his ambassador. And so what did our ruler do? Well, he did the unthinkable. And just when the residents of this foreign land thought they had silenced the inconvenient message of heaven, of death to self and life for others, the king from heaven did something impossible. He made alive his chief ambassador, and then his chief ambassador did something magnificent on Pentecost. He raised up millions of ambassadors to go take the message of peace, to go make, take the message of reconciliation. Though you killed him, though you're hostile to him, though you're by nature children of wrath, he has raised you up to go take that message to the world of life to those who are dead. 
of sight to those who are blind. Could you imagine being blind and someone has the message of sight and we hold it to ourselves? No, chief ambassador has sent us out as missionaries, as ambassadors, to be empowered with the same power of, that Jesus is empowered with, the spirit of truth, not of lies, the spirit of resurrection, not of the grave, the spirit of adoption, not of orphanhood, the spirit of comfort, not discomfort, the spirit of wisdom, not foolishness, the spirit of reconciliation, not of enemies. That is the spirit that has come today. It is the spirit of God himself remaking and renewing all things, making our hearts a dwelling place for the glory of God. That's something to celebrate today. Why would you sit this out? Not just here in a room. It's easy to do this. Why would you sit this out on Monday? Why would you sit it out on Thursday? What a great privilege for us to be the ambassadors of the king. What excuse could we possibly come up with? One, maybe. And that is if you're hurt. If you're wounded. Come. Take refuge in the embassy. Take refuge in Christ and with his people. But at the same time, realize that it's only for a season. And that at some point, your ambassadorship, your identity as an ambassador has got to be lived out. If you want to live for the glory of God, you got to live that out. You can fumble forward, that's fine. You can fail for the glory of God, praise God. But you can't sit it out continuously. So if you've been a part of the Grove like for any length of time, and you're not wounded, and you're not hurt. This isn't a call to be on the road crew. This is a call to live out your identity in your neighborhoods, in your networks. You've heard this before. In the nations. We won't quit saying this. Some of you are like, dude, like we hear this a lot. You're gonna keep hearing it. What puts a better trajectory for your summer? Being a missionary wherever you go or just going on vacation? You might say vacation, Jesus says otherwise. Go on vacation, praise God, I'm going. You should go too. We're gonna go as ambassadors. We're gonna bring the dwelling place of God wherever we go, the power of God wherever we go because he lives in me. And if he can remake this fool, he remake you. I know that. So let's live out of this identity of not just the blood-bought sons and daughters of God. Let's live out of the identity of the dwelling place, the citizens the messengers of reconciliation to ourselves, to one another, and to those around us. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that they got done um, early so that I could go late. Uh, And we're also grateful that we're gonna celebrate communion here in a moment. We're gonna go get our kids and they're gonna witness this and they're gonna wonder, what is this strange thing that my parents are doing? They're taking bread and drinking wine or juice. I don't get it. But before we do that, The question is, how are we going to live? How are we going to live this week? How are we going to live this summer? Out of what identity will we live? Will we live out of the identity of being the dwelling place? Will we realize that we bring the life-giving and transforming presence of God wherever we go? We don't have to go to church on a Sunday morning, a gathering in a building. No, we bring the church and the power of God wherever we go. Will we live out of a new citizen? Will we be loyal to the king above all else? Will we be ambassadors? Will we truly be a people 
where God is making his appeal to the world through us. That appeal being, you were once dead and now I wanna make you alive. You have run far from me, but I'm sitting there like an old man waiting for you to get tired so you can come and find rest. An old wise man, waiting patiently, mercifully, so whatever we hear today, I pray, Lord, that we, are, we hear that we are deeply loved, so loved that God would send his son. But the story doesn't end there. Let us not forget about the indwelling power of resurrection that's in each one of our hearts that call upon the name of Jesus. What more can be said or prayed? Help us, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.